0: Today we're going to continue our series of messages that we've been going through that's just simply called Letters from Jesus. And uh, we've been looking in the book of Revelation. In in Acts chapter 17, there's a passage there that I love very dearly. And there's a part of it where it says to us that the times and places that, that we would live have been set by God. So it's no accident that you and I have been placed In this time period and in this place for the purposes of God, this is our time. This is our run at this thing. As we've said the last few weeks, we are not innovative in the things we're trying to do. It's just the gospel of Christ. And it's our turn to press into Jesus and figure out what it looks like to be the people of Jesus. And so since we're not the first to try this, then maybe by looking at some other churches and 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 how they succeeded or how they failed, then maybe we can learn uh, from them. We can learn some of the pitfalls uh, for us to avoid. And in Revelation chapter two and three, there are, are seven letters written to seven different I- existing churches, and these were churches that were trying to do exactly what we're trying to do. They're just trying to be the the people of Jesus, trying to live for Jesus in in this world and. And interestingly, all of them, uh, but one really have a, a, a rough go of it. And, and so we started in Ephesus and the church in Ephesus started out really raw and really gritty, really honest. And early on, the, the, the people in Ephesus were, were brutally honest about what's what was going on inside of them. They were confessing dark things inside of them to each other and they were finding freedom from those things. And and uh, I mean, they were just brutally honest, you know, things like, man, I'm just broken inside. I've sinned. I've cheated on my wife. I've ruined everything that really matters to me. And they were living that way. But then just 60 years later, we find them pretending, kind of, as we called it, doing church as a hobby. And instead of going, ah, oh, this is my junk and this is my struggle. Instead, when you'd say, how are you doing? You'd get the stock answer that we often give. I'm fine. I'm fine. And they wore their masks just like we do and pretended that everything was okay. And we talked about the need to not pretend. Let's just be who we are and let Jesus help us. And if we ever get to the place where we're starting to pretend or we create an atmosphere where people feel the need to pretend so that they don't aren't rejected, then then we have wandered off the narrow path of trying to be the people of Jesus. And then after that, we went to Smyrna and there are great lessons in Smyrna because the city of Smyrna was a really really dark and dangerous place it was where uh, many of the saints of God were were murdered they were they were killed for their faith in Smyrna and uh and the follower of Jesus uh, uh in that city were living in poverty but in spite of the fact that they were living in poverty Jesus calls them wealthy and so in saying that Jesus redefines wealth for us and we we learn that you can have all the trinkets in the world and you can be impoverished in your soul uh uh, uh, and the flip side you can also have nothing that the world offers but you could be wealthy in your soul so we talked about soul wealth and what that means and then we went to pergamum and in pergamum they started out so strong and then they just sort of disintegrated everything everything looked great in the beginning but they finished poorly and we asked the question how do we make sure we don't end poorly so we talked about being aware of the heart we talked about uh, about uh, where our heart's really are we talked about taking the risk of being known so that we can receive encouragement when we need it and we also talked about not being so self-absorbed that we can't see when other people around us are are in need of encouragement and we talked about the keys the uh, how key of obedient is in this and that leads us to this morning to Thyatira. Thyatira was a place where we learn about tough love. So let's go. Revelation chapter two, starting in verse 18. This is what what is written. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So now if we just stop there for just a moment, it, this sounds like the place we want to be. It, it sounds like the place we want to uh, raise our kids in. This is the kind of church that we would want to join. Because I mean, basically Jesus himself said, here's what I know about you. you. I know that you're full of love. I know that you have persevered. I know that you have great faith. And, and we know that the church is growing. Now, I don't know if they're growing numerically. That's not what I'm talking about. But I know that they're growing in depth because Jesus just said that what you're doing now is greater than what you were doing in the beginning. So this sounds like a, a, a place that you and I want to be a part of. Sounds, sounds like it's just really, really hopping. But then there's verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you you tolerate that woman jezebel i want to stop there for just a second we'll come back to this verse but but uh i just want to mention i want to talk about this it is highly improbable that the woman he's referring to uh that that her name is actually jezebel because jezebel was an old testament queen who was basically a murderer and and was a very evil person killed multiple people and and here's what I know about human nature. We don't tend to name our kids after murderers, right? I mean, that's just generally, that would be the equivalent of naming your child Hitler or or Stalin or, you know, or Ted Bundy Jr. or something like that. You know, it's just not really accepted in our culture. You know, it's like, well, what should we call him? I know John Wayne Gacy. You know, no, we just don't do that. And so uh, we just tend to stay away from mass murderer names. So her name is not really Jezebel. She's just being compared to an Old Testament queen. And, and in fact, even today, people don't name their little girls Jezebel, right? They still don't do it. I mean, chances are that if you heard the name Jezebel outside of the Bible, you probably heard it in a song, probably in a country song, most likely. And so that's what's happening here. It's highly unlikely that the woman's name is really Jezebel. She's being compared to an Old Testament queen. So here's what I want to do as we talk about this today, because Jezebel has such a different connotation. And uh, what I want to do, uh, understanding that that's not really her name today, let's just call her Josephine. All right. So, and I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's anybody here. I don't know of anybody named Josephine. That's if you're, that's your middle name. You're probably going like, no, not Josephine. No, but, but let's just, we're just going to call her Josephine. So let's see what the problem here is with Josephine slash Jezebel. Verse 20 again. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, so follow me here. You have this church in Thyatira that's just really hopping and things are going really well. But in the middle of this vigorous growing church, there is this woman who is teaching false things. And leading people astray. But I want you to pay attention to what Jesus said here because the accusation here is not, uh, 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 that that he's talking about here, the accusation is not towards the woman Jezebel. Now, now he's not gonna, he's gonna deal with her specifically, but to the church, he's not saying, I have a problem with Jezebel here. He, he does. But, but what his point here, he, his, 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 he's directing his remarks towards a church that tolerates her and will do nothing about her in their midst. Okay. So, so that's the problem that Jesus, that Jesus has here. He said, this is what I have against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Okay. So I I don't know what she's doing outside of teaching false doctrine, but, but I know no one wants to confront her in this church. And I don't know why They, they don't. Maybe they just think that, Somebody else will do it. Right. That happens all the time. I mean, we've all, all done that sort of thing. We, we've we all been like, somebody needs to handle that. Now, not me, but somebody needs to handle that. Somebody should do something there. Or maybe she's just a really scary woman. Have any of you ever known a really scary woman? Uh, some of you don't, don't point fingers Don't, don't do anything like that. But we, you know, maybe if you say something to her, you know, she's just gonna turn on you and rip you to shreds or, or maybe it's that she has wealth and power. And so people are afraid of the consequences of, of confronting her. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they just don't have deep enough relationships with each other to deal with hard issues. For example, how how many of you have ever been to a family reunion, reunion where Maybe it's this big event and there are all these people here that are that are quote unquote family, but but no one really knows anybody. You know, have you been in those kind of situations? And so you you have conversations that are kind of small talk conversations because that's just the depth of your relationship. And so and after the first six hours, you've kind of done all of this. So you, uh, you still working at the place with the thing and, and, uh, you know, you're doing that and how's your boy and all this kind of stuff. And because of distance and because of a lack of real, real relationship, you're just, you're just trying to find activities to do, right? Uh, Otherwise you're just going to all send up, end up sitting in the living room in rocking chairs. That's all you do. And you, and just feeling awkward and and, and you're like, when's lunch, please. Is there a set of dominoes somewhere? Can we, Play something, Kim, let's just do something. Be- because the conversation slams into this wall because although you're family, you don't know one another. A- a- and so maybe although they're a church and, and-, and, the-, and the church is doing well, maybe the relationships are so shallow that they don't have the freedom to confront her. I don't know why they won't confront her. I don't know why they let this go. But Jesus says, my problem with you isn't just that Jezebel is among you. My problem is that you won't do anything about it. That's my problem. And if you keep reading, uh, he tells them that they're going to be destroyed. And, And look at me, what he says. They're going to be destroyed from the inside. So I thought maybe what we would do this morning, I thought it'd be a great time for us to flip over to Matthew chapter 18 because can I be really honest with you? Here's what I believe. Josephine should never have become Jezebel. Josephine should never have become Jezebel. It should never have gotten that far. Jesus says to us in Matthew 18 that there's a way to handle Josephine that's full of love. There's a way to handle Josephine in such a way that she never becomes Jezebel. There's a way to handle this so that people aren't wooed into all that is dark. And we're going to look at that way. Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 15 and we're, we're going to go slowly through this passage. So let's begin in Matthew 18, verse 15. The first line says, if your brother or sister sins. Now, I'm going to stop right there because we're already just those few words. This thing is just thick with meaning. Here's the first. Jesus said, if your brother or sister. So Jesus here is making an appeal to us as a family. He's making an appeal to us as a family. If someone that is part of the same beautiful family sins, if your brother sins, if your sister sins, if someone in your family is in trouble, if someone in your family is drowning, you jump in. I want you to imagine for just a moment, imagine that we have a time machine here and we could travel back to the year 2010. And I just chose that because that'd be the year that my youngest daughter, Gail, would have been four years old. And so that was back when Julie and I were at least relatively young. At least how I feel physically, I was way younger than I am now. You know what I'm talking about. And and so she was would have been four. And imagine that that Julie and 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 Gail and I all went to a pool party at some some person's house. And in the middle of this party, I I decide because this would be fitting, I decide I'm going to get into a pie eating contest, which I'm probably I'm probably going to win. I'm just going to tell you that I'm probably going to win that one. And and so I'm going to get in this in this uh, pie eating contest. and, And and as the contest begins, Gail decides that she wants to swim. But the problem with Gail when she was four years old was that she did not know how to swim without her floaties. And she decided she's going to swim without her floaties. Now, this is not this is not a true story. This is not a true event. This is just a hypothetical. Okay, so. Julie is there at the party, and she notices that Gail is in the pool. She's in the water, and she's flailing away in the water. She's drowning but 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 the thing is, Julie has spent a lot of time into making herself look wonderful. She's got new clothes on and her hair is, is perfect and her makeup is just perfect. And so she notices Gail flailing and drowning and she begins to ask around for some help. Excuse me. Excuse me. My my daughter's drowning. Oh, oh, wait, I see you're eating cake. Never mind. Let me go find someone else. And And, and so she calls out, honey. Honey, excuse me, uh, Gail's drowning, but, but, but I have these new clothes on. Can you, can you do something? And I look at her and say, can't you see that I'm trying to win a contest here? But well, if that really happened, you would certainly wonder about the level, level of love in our family, wouldn't you? That's not what would happen, though. Because if that started started taking place, Julie would not think twice about her new clothes or her hair or her makeup. And I wouldn't give a contest a second thought. We would dive into the water as quickly as we could because someone who means more than all the world to us is drowning. Listen, deep relationship with one another is the foundation for all confrontation. In fact, it is the motivation. It's why we go to somebody and confront them when they're when they're walking in sin. It's because we love them, and we want to we want to dive in to save them when they're drowning. Now, here's the thing: you know, most churches uh, it's, it's not an official group, but most churches have their group of enforcers. Uh, you know, they like to do church discipline, but but they sort of do it like deer hunting. You know what I'm talking about? So they. They set up their, their tree stand and they wait to see somebody doing something that they think is wrong. They're like, ooh, bang, 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 you know, and they like, like uh, you know, and they, they just mount them in the den. You know what I'm talking about? And so the, 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 you walk through the den with them. They're like, yeah, well, that dude there, he watched R rated movies without Jesus in him. You know, so and that girl, she she bought the new Taylor Swift album. So you knew she had to go. You know, and that guy there, the big one, I just didn't like him. You know, that, that's kind of how it goes and how discipline happens. But this group that I'm talking about just tries to protect all that they think is holy. Not, not all that really is holy, but all that they think is that what they really do is they really protect their own agenda. If you will, and you can call it politics. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But in this little phrase, Jesus conve- conveys the importance of extending love friendship and grace and he defines the motive for the intervention that the reason we do it is not to try to protect holiness and try to come off as holier than thou or more righteous than anybody else the reason we go and speak with that person is because it's a family member who we love care we care for more deeply than we can even express and they're about to drown in sin that's the motivation and here's the thing, if you haven't already extended love, then the problem is you can't say to that person, you know that I love you. Haven't I wept with you? Haven't I, haven't I rejoiced with you? Haven't I done life with you? In fact, if you haven't treated them like a cherished family member already, you probably should keep your discipline to yourself. Let's, let's read, read on. Verse 15 goes on and he says, If your brother or sister sins, Now, the word sins is really important here because sometimes people want to fire up the wheels of church discipline just because they don't like somebody or or because they they've done something and they feel offended in that in that moment. And, well, he said it this way with this kind of tone. But here's the thing. I can't really find tone of voice as a sin in Scripture. And and can we be honest? You, You just let's just be real here. How many of you know you just don't like everybody? Can, is anybody going to be honest with me? Am I going to be the only one going to be honest here? No, we, we can't say that. We love all God's children. Yeah, I, I do too. I think I love everybody, but I don't necessarily like hanging out with everybody. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so what Jesus is talking about here is not about discipline fired up because I like or dislike somebody or they rub me the wrong way or I don't like this or I don't like that. But, but, uh, but, but I've seen it happen before where people try to fire it up and it's like, well, let's you know, let's talk about, let's get ready. We had to deal with this person over here. And and you ask them, well, what's their sin? Well, this, 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 and this, and I don't like this and I don't like that. And, and and I, uh, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I agree that that might need to be addressed, but, What's their sin? It's it's about a brother or a sister who's violating the word of God. And if your brother or sister sins, if one of our family members sins, what do we do? What's our responsibility? Because this is not just for pastors. This is for every one of us in this room. What do we do? Let's watch, because remember, what we're trying to figure out here is how we can make sure that Josephine never becomes Jezebel. Here we go, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. There's already a problem with a lot of us. A lot of us, what we do is we first go to somebody else, and we talk to somebody else about what's going on, and we never actually get around actually talking to the person. But he says, you go to them just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. An authentic relationship is the groundwork for It, it is the foundation for confronting sin. Let me try to show you what this looks like just with a hypothetical situation. Um, just about everybody here knows Chuck Bryant. Chuck is a good friend of me. We, we talk to each other regularly. We're, we, we share meals together. And how, how this works according to Jesus is, is that, is that Chuck knows what kind of husband I want to be. He knows what kind of father I want to be. He, he has prayed with me. We've wept together. We've, he's done life with me. He's dreamed with me. And then he sees something that is scripturally sin in my life. And so he, what he does is he takes me out to get a burger. And during the conversation, he says, Hey, man, are, are you, are you all right? The reason I'm asking is because I see this, and 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 this is what I'm seeing, and I'm scared. And let me tell you what I'm, why I'm worried about this because I'm worried because I know that we've prayed and we've said this and we've asked God for this and we've dreamed about becoming this and we want to be this kind of of man, men for our wives and we want to be this kind of man for our children and we, and, and we want to be this kind of man for our church and what you're doing seems to be so contrary to all of that and so I'm afraid for you. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Do you you need help? Uh, Can can I go with you somewhere to get help? Do do you just need a break? Is that what you need? Can I teach for you for a weekend? Do you just need to get away? How can I help? And the Bible says that if I will listen, then Chuck has won a brother. In, In that moment, when Chuck does that for me, I begin to realize that I am really loved. That he cares about me so much that he's not going to just let me wander off in into destruction. I begin to realize someone really does care about me. Now, now here's the thing. If it's, if it's just some guy that I don't really know, if it's somebody that I don't know that confronts me, then it feels like I'm being attacked. Here's the thing about church discipline. If you have to ask the person's first name again that's disciplining you, it usually goes really badly. Right. I mean, if somebody sits you down and goes, let me tell you what to fix in your life. Let me let me explain to you where you're off. I'm going to get you straightened out here. And if you're looking at them going, who are you? What's what's your name? I don't, it almost always goes bad in that situation. But if someone who does life with me that confronts me, with me, uh, if it is somebody that does life with me, that confronts me. And it says, "Man, are you okay? What's going on here?" Then, in that moment, I know I'm loved. You know, my my oldest daughter, Erin, uh, when she was little, she was usually very very well behaved. She was always kind of quiet, just did her own thing. When she was really little, as a baby, we'd carry her in and. You know those those car seats that you that detach and you can carry them in and we go to eat somewhere and carry her in there and put, set her down there and then we'd be halfway through dinner and look up and realize she's been she's awake and we didn't even know she's awake because she's just one of those that just sat there and was content and didn't really make a fuss and so that was just kind of her personality when growing up when she was when she was little uh, but but here's the thing uh there were times every once in a while especially when she got a little bit older every once in a while she wanted to test the fences. Anybody have a child that likes to test the fences once in a while? And it wasn't that she wanted to do something bad or anything like that. It's just that sometimes mommy and daddy got really busy. Sometimes, you know, uh, Aaron would sort of blend into the background. She was the quiet child. She was the one that, you know, just kind of was there. And so then we, when Gail came along and, and, uh, she, she was, uh, Sometimes, uh, uh, called more, for more attention and that sort of thing. And, and it would be easy for her to blend into the background. And so during those times, Aaron times, uh, would at times test the fences just to see if she still loved, make sure everything was still okay. And maybe I have it all wrong, but it just seemed like she wanted to test them and make sure that daddy still loved her and still cared about her. So she tested the, those fences. And then after she'd do that, we'd get back to normal very quickly. My confrontation, actually cemented the fact that I loved her. Here's the thing. I don't think that adults are all that different. When people are testing the fences, they need you to deal with it to show that you love them. I mean, have you ever met that guy that just for no reason just stops going to church for three or four weeks just to see if anybody notices? You know, and can I tell you, that's the same thing. It's the same game. The guy, you know, they're they're like, I'm not going back. I stopped going for four weeks and nobody even cared. It's the same game. Let me see if someone cares about me. Let's see if someone loves me. Let me see if someone really notices me. And listen, if, if, if I listen to Chuck, then Chuck has a brother because I know he cares for me. I know he loves me. So then... What happens when the brother who is sinning doesn't respond to the personal contact? What happens if Chuck comes into me and says, hey, man, I noticed this. I'm worried about this. Can we talk about this? And in, my, in response, I look at him and I say, yeah, you know, I, do, I don't care. I know all that. You can't do anything, anything for me. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live my life. Get, get away from me. Well, what this is what the text is going to explain next. Verse 16. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So now he's not talking about taking one or two more random people. He's not saying, you know, spring some kind of tra- booby trap for them. All right. You know, hey, why don't you come over to my house? And they walk in intervention. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. He doesn't mean that we should corner him in the hallway of the church. And say, hey, you know, you're not going anywhere till we talk about this. But what, what we're to do is we are to take one or two more brothers, which means that we, that they should be people who have also done life with that person. So, so this should, should play out more in like a small group setting, uh, situation. So, so get one or two more that are brothers, then go to him and have the same conversation again. What are you doing? How can we help? How can we walk with you? How, what we, can we do to help you see the, what the scriptures say about this? This is not who you have said you want to be. This is what lies in wait for you if you continue on this path. When, when a person is loved and nurtured and cared for and there's genuine concern, that person almost always repents. The ones usually who push away and keep going are the ones where there's no relationships. There's no depth of love. They don't know that that person really loves them. And so they reject what they say. It is very rare to find a situation where this has been done done correctly, where the person refuses to repent and moves on to the next step. But if the person, even after that, still remains in sin, what then? So two or three come in and they had the same conversation. So now, you know, Chuck and Gerald and Jason all come to me and they say, hey, this is what we see. This is what's going on. Can we help? What's happening? We want. We, we don't want you to lose out with God. And then I look at this and say, listen, I've already told Chuck and I'm going to tell the same thing to you. I'm done here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to live my own way. Okay, if that happens, what do we do next? Let's go. Verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, so now the church proper gets informed. Now, and I want us to keep reading this because this this is an example of one of the texts that that people grab a hold of and they like to use it to just like beat the tar out of people. All right? So So now that, excuse me, now that the church knows... If he refuses to listen, even to the church, Jesus says, "Treat them as you would a pagan and a tax collector." And I've heard this verse, you know, cross-reference with the verse where it says to expel the immoral brother. And I've seen it used as a license to beat people up who won't repent of sin, and to treat them with harshness and with with uh, callousness. But we need to ask ourselves an important question here because Jesus says. If they won't, if they refuse to listen, they refuse to repent, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Here's the question I think that we forget to ask in this situation. The real question we have to ask is, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? See, that's the question we forget and we think, oh, well, we can just, we can look down on them because, hey, they're just a, you know, dirty, rotten sinners, but we forget, so we, so were we. And we need to ask ourselves, when Jesus says, treat them like tax collectors and sinners, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? You know, there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus met a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for what? For the Lord he wanted to see. His name was? Zacchaeus, yes, very good. Everybody remembers the old song, and and, and let, let let me ask you this: anybody remember? That? I think you'll all remember this. What did Zacchaeus do for a living? He was a tax collector, which we've talked about that before. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail today, but it was more than just that he was a cheat because we know that tax collectors would collect more than the the tax that was required. But it was more than that because for a Jewish person to be a tax collector meant that he was an absolute traitor to his nation because he was helping to fund an occupying army that was oppressing his own nation. It was the lowest of the low. It was they were they were hated and despised, and yet Jesus walks into Zacchaeus' house, this tax collector, and he finds himself sitting at the dining room table with a tax collector, sharing a meal and talking about right living, and talking about living for God, and talking about uh, about all of these things. And in, and we know that in the end, Zacchaeus repents. And then another story in Scripture: Jesus finds. This Samaritan woman, we don't know her name, but he finds this Samaritan woman at the well. And he has nothing but gentle grace for her. He speaks the truth. He didn't soft sell it. He, You know, when she said, I'm not married, he said, well, you are telling the truth there because you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. So he didn't he didn't pretend like there was nothing wrong there. But in the midst of it all, he gave her grace as he spoke the truth. And in fact, it is so much so that this is the only place in all of the book of John where Jesus specifically reveals himself as the Messiah to anyone. To this Gentile woman at the well, it's the only place in the book of John, she says, when will the time come? When will this Messiah get here? And Jesus looks at her and says, the only time he's, he said this to anybody in the book of John. He said, I'm him. I'm him. I'm he. I'm the Messiah. What's happened is historically, people want to use this text to reject people. But Jesus says in that moment, what he's really saying is this is not a license to reject them. It means that we have to recognize the relationship changes in that moment. And we no longer view them as part of the covenant community, but as part of those in need of grace and mercy from Jesus. That means our conversations, our prayers, and our interactions with them will look very similar to the ones we would have with people outside of Jesus. That our goal then is to see them come to Jesus. That's the whole point. And you know, there's an underlying theme running through all of these churches that we've talked about. Community and right relationships. Being known. Because you see, Josephine should never have become Jezebel. Early on in the process, there should have been a brother or sister who had a deep enough relationship with her that they could confront her and say, hey, there's something, you've got these gifts, but we can see here you're off, you're going down the wrong path. This is not what Scripture teaches. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you. I want you to come back to the way of Jesus. Long before she became known as Jezebel, she should have been loved and cared for, and somebody should have come up to her and said, you know I love you. Because we have, we have, I've been here with you. I have cried with you. I have prayed with you. We've dreamed together. I've done life with you. You know I love you. So please listen. Josephine should never have become Jezebel. Here's, here's, if you get anything, get this. We in the church, in our church, we need to have relationships that are deep enough to sustain conflict. If your relationships are not deep enough to, to sustain conflict, in other words, that every time somebody does something that gets on your nerve or there's some sort of conflict there, then you just write them off and you're like, I'm done with them. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, you're just going to move on from them. You need to work on your relationships because you are not building deep enough relationships where anybody can confront you or that you could confront anybody else. We need to have relationships that are deep enough to sustain sustain conflict. Listen, do you know who, who, uh, let me get the grammar correct. Do Do you know from whom I hear rebuke best? I hear rebuke best from people who I know are in this thing with me. I hear rebuke best from people whom I know are in this thing with me. A great example of this is in my relationship with, with Julie, my wife. You know, listen, here's the truth. I believe this marriage more than any other relationship, more than any other union I know, it is iron slamming against iron and sparks flying and things being ground up. And listen, I am not, I'm not talking about fighting and arguing. That's not what I'm talking about what, in that. I'm talking about the process of marriage and learning to be married and learning to live together. It shows you not just things about your spouse. It shows you a lot of things about you. Isn't that, isn't that right? I mean, listen, when I were first newlywed, I didn't know how selfish I was because I didn't have to worry about anybody else or any decision I made. Anybody here relate with me? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm glad to know. I was getting getting ready to fall on the altar here and repent because nobody was thinking this. But, you know, (coughs) what what I'm saying, I'm just saying that marriage will show you what's going on inside your heart if you'll pay attention. God will use your spouse to chisel away at at your life to, to help you become more and more like Jesus. It is beautiful, and miserable at the same time often it just is and and uh it's just for everyone i know except for engaged people because engaged people are always like you've got to be kidding not us not us our love uh, you just don't understand our love and you know, if you're like me you're like oh, i'll see you in about a year <laughs> but i have to watch myself and i have to pray really hard because when you're married it can turn into things that it shouldn't be because Julie may say something like, you know, there's something I'm concerned about. And, it, and, it, and it's very easy in that moment to reply. OK, OK, I, I hear that. I hear that. But while we're on the subject, why don't you work on this? You know, because if if you do this, then maybe I won't do that. <laughs> Some of you are laughing, so I'm, I'm guessing maybe you're not, I'm not, we're not the only one here. It's true. It's horrible. It's tricky, but I'm trying to learn to listen because I know in the end, the truth is she wants me to be everything that I want to be. My, my point is this. We hear best from those who love us. We hear best from those whom we know love us and if we haven't put any time and energy into building those kinds of relationships then this process that Jesus is talking about usually goes very badly w.a. criswell the pastor of first baptist of dallas i don't even know if he's still there or not but i just saw this quote but when when the church his church was exploding just growing massively and he was asked if he had any regrets in his 25 to 30 year pastorate and this is what he said he said the only regret I have is that somewhere along the way accountability and discipline took a back burner and it spun out of control and we could never get it back in in Thyatira there was so much that was going so well and yet there were these people drowning and nobody was getting in the pool Because they didn't want to get their jeans wet or they were trying to, you know, eat cake or something. Their family was dying because they lacked either the love or the courage that it takes to have these kinds of conversations because they are just never pleasant. I don't know anyone who looks forward to them. And if anybody that does look forward to them... (laughs) These probably uh, you watch out for them because they've got some kind of they're probably psychotic or something a sociopath, you know, I can't wait to confront somebody today. That's the one that mounts them up in the den, you know, and said, yeah I got this one last Sunday, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think anybody is. You, You do have those like the skull crushers in every place that and they love it. But funny thing is, usually the sin is theirs, not someone else's. But but, you know, I want I wonder about us. I wonder if if we have put the kind of time and effort and energy to build the kind of relationships where things can be engaged and dealt with. Because here's what I know about us and about the world in which we live. There is a wooing by sin that takes place. And there's this constant pull toward the flesh. And and, and few of us uh, are are. Passionately in love with Jesus one day, and then we're a train wreck the next. It's this process of drifting, and somewhere in that process, somewhere in that drift, we need to have somebody who loves us enough and has a deep enough relationship where they have the freedom to be able to come to us and say, "Hey, you know, I'm a little worried because you seem to be you seem to be drifting here. You seem to be moving away from the things that really matter. How are you doing?" And that process is a very slow, numbing process where we don't even see it coming until we wake up one day and, and we're all that we didn't didn't want to be. Like Samson, waking up after finally playing with sin, chasing after things God said not to have anything to do with. And finally, when he gets his hair cut, he, the Bible says he woke up when they said, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up, and the Bible says he shook himself as before, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. That didn't happen overnight for Samson, did it? It was a long process. Samson needed a brother or sister who could come to him and say, hey, you know, you're playing around with chasing after these women. There's nothing but trouble there. There's nothing but trouble there. So I'm wondering if, if you would build those kind of relationships because what's popular in our world right now and what's easy is for us to go shallower and shallower with more and more people. We, we do it at church. We do it at school. We do it everywhere. Let's just have one inch deep relationships with a thousand people. And I, and I, I worry about us. I, I worry that maybe we don't have the kind of relationships they're going to help us survive this life and survive this process and make it through. Thyatira got destroyed, but not by some outside force. It, it wasn't the government that, that killed the church in Thyatira. It wasn't, you know, the ACLU. It wasn't the Democrats. It wasn't liberal politicians. It wasn't anything on the outside. They, they, they weren't the ones that destroyed it. They self-destructed because they lacked a love deep enough to confront one another. And they were cowards. And never had the courage to go talk to somebody who was struggling. The question is, will we love this place enough? Will we love each other enough? Will we take risks with people? So that we might have the kind of relationships where we can be confronted if we need it. Because we're all going to need it. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Would you bow your head? Let's pray together. Father, I pray for grace today. I pray that the same grace and patience and love and gentleness, the gentleness that you've shown to us, God, that we might show to the family that sits among us. And I pray, God, that in this place, Josephine never becomes Jezebel and, and And she doesn't become Jezebel because she's loved and cared for and nurtured and, and she's confronted in that love. And the, and the answer, Lord, to Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper is for us is a resounding yes. So God, I pray that this would be a really big topic on our hearts and on our minds and in our conversations this week. Do, do we really know one another? Do we really have this kind of community? is there anyone that i have that kind of relationship with and if not then then how what do i need to do to build those relationships so I, I pray god that we would just be zealous for for real relationships real community and that we'd fight for it and i know it's not easy and 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 frankly god i know some of us have been carrying betrayal some of us have been hurt we have been lied to and it just feels so risky like like we just Couldn't survive it again. But God, I know in my life how often simple conversations with people that I knew loved me have saved me from a lot of damage and a lot of broken things, a lot of brokenness in my life. I pray, God, that you would just increase love and that you'd make us a family here. And I don't know how, how you're going to do that or what that means fully, but I, but God, we, we can be known and I just pray that we can have genuine relationships that we would love each other that deeply that we dive in when we see a brother drowning. So, so I pray that you would just teach us how to do that and how to find that, and that we would just put forth the effort to fight for that. I think, God, the majority of of us in this room, we'd confess that we want to love you more than we do. And we want to go into deeper waters with you than we are. And we and we we know that's a journey. And so, God, I just pray you would teach us how to walk it faithfully. But God, remind us that we're not walking this path alone. That we have a family. And that and that there there is deep love in this family of God. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would not idolize friendship to the point that we put the, the fear of damaging a friendship before confronting somebody if they're walking in sin. And Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to always remember that confrontation's always love. That it's not about that I'm better than you, it's that I'm as broken as you. And I don't want you to lose out on what God's doing. so, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to pursue those kind of friendships, those kind of relationships. And some of us have those and some of us don't. But, God, I pray you'd help us. And and give us, God, the courage not only to confront when we need to confront, but, God, give us the courage to receive when somebody needs to talk to us. Help us to walk humbly before you, realizing that we all need this from time to time. I just pray, God, you'd help us. You're the only one that can help us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, there's nobody looking around. I I just... You know, I don't know. Maybe you know somebody that you need to go have a conversation with. You Maybe grab a cup of coffee or grab a burger. Sit down with them and say, Hey, you know I love you. I've been with you. I've never... I've never forsaken you. I've always been by your side and I'll always be your friend. But I see some things that I'm worried about. Can we talk about them? Because I don't want you to lose out. Or maybe somebody needs to have that conversation with you. But either way, I want to pray for you that there'd be such a deep love of God in that relationship that you'd be able to have the, the depth there to sustain that conflict, to sustain your relationship in the midst of that conflict. But here's what I'm going to ask you, how I'm going to ask you to respond today. I want to know if there's anybody in this place that would say, Pastor Dave, I want to join with you in pursuing those kind of deep relationships where we can keep Jeze- keep Josephine from becoming Jezebel in our church. You say, I'm willing to do what it takes. If it means getting involved in a small group, if it means uh, having a regular meal or coffee or meeting with somebody in the church, or whatever it is, but you'd say, Pastor, I want that. I want that in my life. And I don't want it just so that I have the freedom to confront, but I want it so that Others have the freedom to deal to talk to me when they see something. Because we all have blind spots. Every one of us in this room has blind spots. But there may be people that would be willing to talk to you, but for whatever reason, they're afraid to. If you'd say, Pastor, I just want to join with you. And I want to pursue this in my life, and I want to pursue this in this church. Is that you? Just you slip your hand up right where you are. Yeah. Yeah, all over the place, their hands up. Father, you see our hands, you see our hearts. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. Because God, we know that none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. We all deal with issues. We all have blind spots. We all have things that we need to deal with. And sometimes, God, we need other people to help us see Him. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to to nurture relationships that are deep enough to talk about hard issues. And and God, not only that we're willing to talk with them, but we're willing to listen to others when they talk about them. The bottom line is, God, we just want you. We want more intimacy with you. We will, This is what we don't want to pursue. And God, one of the things you've given us is this church, our brothers and sisters, the family of God. And together, Lord God, you use them as a tool to help shape us, to help sand away those places, to help chisel away those places that don't belong. So God, we just, we want that. Help us, Lord, as we pursue that. And we know it's not easy and we know it's not automatic. But that's what we want. We ask you to help us with that. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.